It's the Airhead 247 Podcast. The Airhead 247 Podcast, powered by Wedgetail Ignition Systems, state of the art ignition for your 247 Airhead. Proudly made in Australia by motorcyclists who love their BMWs. By the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America, who invite you to ride inspired. And Boxer2Valve.com, the premium supplier for all your airhead replacement parts. Now, let's get this thing fired up. All right, everybody, back at it. Hello again, everyone. This week, part two of our slight diversion from the 247, as we close out our look at the K75 with Leo Goff. Leo, not only a fan of the venerable flying brick, but he's also an owner. So as usual, some wonderful insight from Leo straight ahead. From the mailbox, mostly positive reviews from our look at the K75 so far. Alan wrote in to say he really enjoyed the, quote, alternative approach podcast about the wonderful three-cylinder K machine. Alan says his friend Ingo in Germany owns a couple of K-bikes and a few 247 boxers. So Alan sent a link to the last program to his buddy Ingo in Germany. Ingo writes back to tell us, of all his BMWs, the K75 is his favorite. And Casey from New Mexico wrote to say, with tongue partly in cheek, Darren, the K75 episode was an unforgivable transgression. Well, thank you, Casey. I know you were kidding, mostly. Anyway, thanks to everybody for writing in. As always, we welcome your thoughts, insights, suggestions, and criticisms. Drop us a line. Airheads, with an S, airheads247 at hotmail.com. Want to mention the end of an era with the closing of Recycle BMW in Lithopolis, Ohio. Many of you here in the United States either knew Mark Seidel or had purchased parts from him over the years. I met Mark back in 1991 when I purchased my first 247. It was a 72 R75-5. The transmission on that bike did not last long during the first few months of my ownership. And Mark, he essentially gave me a rebuilt unit in exchange for my trash gearbox. He knew I was new to the brand and didn't have a lot of money. And of course, in the end, he ended up gaining a loyal customer. I ended up buying a few bikes from Mark over the years, and of course, countless used parts. Mark's also a big blues fan and visited me in Memphis, Tennessee years ago while touring the South, taking in all the great music in Memphis and Mississippi. So I want to say right now, Mark, job well done with Recycle and all the best going forward. The last bit of news before we're joined by Leo Goff will be off for an extra week before our next episode, which will feature 247 enthusiast, globetrotter, and inventor York Howe from Switzerland. That episode will be out on February 2nd, so an extra week uh, in our program cycle coming up going forward. Okay, back to a familiar place an undisclosed location outside of Memphis, Tennessee, for part two of our look at the K-75 with our friend, Leo Goff. Boy, I have gotten more emails 
from that. Really? Right, so they said, man, the air, air, and I guess everybody's kind of digging what, what we were doing. They said, man, said, that's the best one. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I, I just, I'm thinking, man, all those good ones you've done with all them people. Well, you, you know, know why I think they like it is yes, you're a good storyteller. You think so? I think that's what I think is. I got too many you knows and I and who's and I's. <laughs> I no, when you hear it, when you hear yourself back. Yeah. I do it all the time. You hear all your verbiage. Great. All your how, how unprofessional can you get? You know. <laughs> well, but, you know, the, the thing is, too, I mean, a lot of, especially people uh, out of the U.S., you know, they're not used to hearing somebody with a Southern accent. Exactly. Talk. And it's intriguing. Yeah. I ever tell you a story? <laughs> <laughs> we were racing up in Atco, New Jersey. And... I had to stay in Memphis and get something done. Somebody's put some gold pinstripes on that bike. It looks pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, they did. It's uh, pinstripe tape. Huh? Pinstripe tape? Yeah. And uh, so anyways, I had to fly in. So I had to fly in to New Jersey. And I arrived like at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I get off and I was hungry as hell. And I had to rent a car and head up to the drag strip at Atco. Well, we I get off and I go get a rental car and I stopped and it's just a little one of them 24 hour diners you know little thing it looks like it's built for railroad cars so I went in there and, and I sat down girl girl comes up and said yeah what do you want I said like a cheeseburger lettuce made of mayonnaise fries on the side she looks at me kind of funny Kind of snickles a little bit because you know they're they're real short and you would think they're rude, yeah. You know if you didn't know better, it's not. It's just how they are. Yeah. And she turns around, goes back, and she's talking to the cook back in. He comes out. He says, uh, "What do you want?" I said, "Well, I told her motor." I said, "Well, she got busy. She wanted me to come take your order." I said, "Cheeseburger, lettuce, tomato, mayonnaise, fries, cocoa." <laughs> And I started looking at him slapping. I, I, I said, I said, what's so funny? He says, your accent, where are you from? I said, New York City. New York City says, Southern New York City. He goes, oh. Then he goes, you know. So they, they want everybody to hear my accent. Yeah, especially when you say Coca-Cola. Yeah, Coca-Cola. Now, now, you know what they call them up here is Pops. Yeah, yeah. You want right. a pop. Yeah. You know. Or soda. You hear that sometimes. Soda. And we always down here called it. A Coke is any sort of soft. like Exactly. I mean, a Coke could be a Sprite. Yeah. You know. It's the same thing. It's a uh, brand name that's gone generic, like Q-Tip or Kleenex. Same kind of thing. Oh. Uh, golly. Got a good deal on it. So. That had, you know, th them things go from two to three thousand. And that's got to be the best deal in motorcycle. And I love that color. I've got two. I've got that charcoal and I've got a solid black. Uh, that's oh, a, yeah. Uh, no, you do have a C. Yeah, that's a C model. Well, yeah. it, uh, here's the deal. So it's a 94, but I think somebody put the fairing on there. Oh. Yours, if that's a true. Mine's a real C. Yeah, yeah. from the late 80s. I think. Yeah, C, 88. C, yeah. C on the back. Yep, and that's probably got a drum brake, doesn't it? 
On the rear. Yeah, that's got a disc. Yeah, that's got a disc on both of them. Yep. I thought that bike right there. A friend of mine who lives in town that has several BMWs had another friend that lived down in Texas. Anyway, they would get together and go riding. They were out riding the Twisted Sister, Great yeah, yeah. Ben, and everything. Mm -hmm. And they were both uh, Marine Corps veterans. And he, he crashed that bike. And hurt him pretty bad, bad enough where he couldn't ride anymore. So my buddy Wayne, who was his friend, brought it up to Memphis. And I was talking, I was talking to Wayne. I said, Wayne was asking, you know, was telling me about it. And I said, Well, I'm looking for. A, I'd like to have a K75 ABS. He said, Well, you used to have ABS on it, but they took it off. He said they took it off. He said, Yeah. Some mechanic took every bit of it off the bike. I said, why? I said, well, it quit working. And it was going to be too expensive to fix. And I said, that don't make any sense to me. I said, but anyway, what do you, you know, what will it take for the bike? He said, it'll take $1,000 for it, just like it is. Right. I said, does he have all of the ABS stuff that came off of it? He said, yeah, I got that. I said, well, I'll take it. So I went there and got it. And uh, it was rideable. But it tore up pretty bad. But I got it. I got back over here, and I fixed. I I fixed the front end, all the stuff that was messed up on. And I started looking at all the ABS stuff on. And I'm thinking, why did this guy take it off? Because when it quits working, just it's just regular brakes. Yep. You don't have to take that off. Right. And so I said, hell, I'm putting this back. He even took the hydraulic lines, those hard lines, up under the tank and everything. I mean, it must have. Took him a couple hours just to take that stuff off, you know. Didn't, didn't want anything to do with it, apparently. And so I put it all back on. Man, it took it, it took about eight hours to get all that back on. And so I put it all back on, and the rear brake sensor. I'm looking at the line. It's got a coaxial cable running up from the sensor up to the computer, and it had a little tear in it. And the two, the two wire, the the the, the, the positive and the ground were, were sticking together. So I'm thinking, surely this ain't what he took all that stuff off for. And so anyway, so I went in there and fixed that, put heat streak around it, put it back on. Then I put it all together. Then I checked the codes on it. It says rear brake sensor failure. So I cleared the code, set it again. That's it. All good. What had happened? Whoever changed the rear tire on that thing last time, that 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 wire, that coaxial lead runs down the swing arm, and it's got two clips in the swing arm yeah. that you attach it to to keep it from hitting the tire. They didn't reattach it. Typical non BMW, I mean, you know, or stupid BMW mechanic yeah. mistake. And it rubbed the tire and rubbed rubbed the hole in it. Started getting a, started getting a light. I fixed that, put it all back on. It's been fine ever since. How long ago was that? About eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. See now, when I was looking at this bike, I thought the first thing I thought was, okay, good. It's a non-ABS bike. Those have a reputation, especially I guess when the the actual sensor goes bad, if and when they do. That's sort of always what I've heard has been the problem on those. They just get dirty. Is that that's all it is? You know, you clean them or, or clean the connections. 
And uh, I've never actually had a sensor go bad. Okay. I've just had an ABS sensor on one of my Mercedes go bad. $37 is fixed, you know. So, uh, but uh, now I've heard, I've heard of the pumps locking up. Yeah. Because people failure to change the brake fluid. I've never experienced that, but I, I, I change the brake fluid in mine every two years. And uh, I like ABS. Man, it's it, a good thing to have. It saved my ass on a wet street with somebody pulling out in front of me in uh, Kerrville, Texas. You know. Yeah, you're talking about the Twisted Sisters down there. Yeah. And uh, I remember when, where's was that Daytona? When ABS came out in 88, I think. BMW had a big demonstration. They blocked off a street and they had a they had some K100s with outriggers on. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the wheels. Yeah. And they would get up to like 60 miles an hour on that street and then slam both brakes off. And that bike would man just start spinning, gyrating on them wheels and everything. And then they would take it with the ABS turned on and do it, and it would come to complete stop. Then they took a water, a fire hose, and washed the street down wet, and did the same thing again. And same thing, bike stayed upright. Yep. Sixty mile an hour heartbrake. Heartbrake both wheels. Bike stayed up. I'm thinking that's pretty damn amazing. Yeah. You know. And, uh, you know, I, I I can modulate my brakes well from, I guess, my dirt bike riding experiences all those years. But, but man, I mean, and there's, there's a couple of generations of ABS now. It's supposed to be even better, but, hell, those work great. That was, if I'm not mistaken, the first ABS system on a motorcycle. Yeah, it was. Wasn't it? That's, that's correct. You know, it's just, you know, it's just that, that, uh, that system they used on the cars. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. that's all it was. The car stuff, you know, back when I was working full time motorworks, we never saw any substantial ABS failure problems. Okay. I, where I bought it, I went down to Alabama and Rick Jones from Motorrad Electric. I know Rick very well. He was maybe 20 miles from the guy where I bought this bike. He'd actually worked on it uh, prior to me getting it, which was one of the reasons it was a good buy. The guys had bought it. Rick had serviced it, put a new fuel pump in it. He said the one thing on this bike, and I think, again, this might be a common issue with the K-Series, is the fuel sender, the ground switch in the fuel tank went bad, and it couldn't repair it. So couldn't find another fuel sender part. So he tried to repair it. Instead, what he did was he just ran a ground line from that to the engine, uh, to the frame, so it's grounded. What you end up losing is the fuel sensor light doesn't come on yeah. anymore, which is no big deal. No big deal. You know, bells and whistles that more of a, you know, I think a lot of this stuff, all these bells and whistles, is just so they can list it That's right. on their sales brochures that, yeah. that it looks like it's got a bunch of stuff. And, and you know. You got new for 1994. Yeah, you know, and, and you know. When they first started putting gear indicators on on the instrument panels on on various bikes, I'm thinking, how damn stupid is that? I, you know, I mean, you know, of course, I come from riding Indians, Harleys, Nortons, Triumphs, you know, 
older BMWs. And if you don't know what gear you're in, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Although I found myself looking at it today. Well, you look at it, but you kind of know. I mean, I mean, you know where you're at. You know how many times shifted. Well, let's. So the whole angle here I wanted to talk about was. So a lot of guys who have airheads also have K bikes. They do. And the K75 in particular, it ended right around the same time the airhead run did. I guess 95, 95. was the last of the K bikes. So, you know, first thing I think about is what, if anything, do these bikes have in common with airheads of that era? So, first thing is hand controls, front end brakes, those were all common to the RC. Those Those were carried over throughout throughout the fleet. You know, at, 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 at whatever particular time they were built, you know, that's about it, really. I mean, there's there's not a lot of, uh, you know, the roundels on the tank, yeah, you know. There's that. Uh, there's that. But uh, now that front end, that would that have been on like uh, that would have been on an eighties or early nineties RS too. Is it the same front end? Yeah, I think it's a show one. It is. Yeah. yeah. Matter of fact. When we go to Daytona, we go take these. When I when I went out there and did Twisted Sisters, I took that bike. Oh, really? Yeah, I got that K100, which I bought brand new in '86, and it's a great bike. But I just, for some reason, that K75 holds an allure to me. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the low seat. I've got a you know 28 inch inseam. You know, I'm six foot tall, but I got a 28 inch inseam. The low, I, I was concerned the low seat would be a problem. Now I've only ridden it. You know, for a day and a half now, but I kind of like it. I had Hagon build me a lower shop too, so that thing's been lowered even more. Okay. And uh, in my advancing age, my leg strength isn't what it isn't what it should be. Easier you to know? get on and off when it's a little. And bit easier to get on and off, yeah. So the other thing about the K bike is spare tubes. Yep, got them. Spare starter relay and clutch cable? Check a Rooney. These are just some of the things on your checklist you may have when preparing for a road trip on your 247. Two things you may not have considered the BMW MOA Anonymous book and the MOA's roadside assistance plan. No matter how well you and your bike are prepared, yep, the unexpected can happen. The BMW MOA Anonymous book. It's one of the most confidence-inspiring items I pack when traveling. It's full of contact information for MOA members across the U.S. and internationally who can offer assistance in the event of a breakdown or provide a tip on where to grab a good sandwich or catch a live band. I've used the anonymous book on a few occasions over the years. The result? Always the same. Friendly assistance with a repair and a great story to tell down the road. Conversely, I've hosted and assisted fellow riders over the years, and the same applies. Always a fun story and the feeling of satisfaction when helping someone in need. Now, roadside assistance plans. These start at $20 a year for the basic and top out at just over $60 a year for the Platinum Roadside and Tire Hazard Protection Plan. That includes 100 miles of free towing up to four times a year and two tire replacements each year up to 250 bucks for each tire. The Platinum package covers up to three bikes, regardless of the brand or year. 
As with any offer, there are details and conditions here, so be sure to check out more on this on the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America website under the Resources tab. So next time you've got a long road trip planned, yes, pack your spares and make sure your bike is tuned and ready to go. And for that extra peace of mind, have your MOA Anonymous book and roadside assistance plan ready as well. Back to one of my favorite places in the Mid-South, the garage at Leo Goff's place with more on the K75. So the other thing about the K-Bike is it's always had, especially the K75, probably more so than the K100, always had a reputation for really reliable, solid platform, especially the engine. Absolutely. Why is that? I was talking one of the BMW engineers at Daytona. And when they were developing, you know, that motor's actually, that's automotive technology, yeah, which like BMW's a, way up on, you know. It was like a, was it from a Peugeot or something? Well, it's I'm going to say design. a Peugeot. I mean, it, it, it's it's very similar to uh, to an M, M3 or M6 uh motor, the older ones, which I have a lot of experience with building race motors out of those. But uh, I saw the engineer, I said, I said, man, I said, this, this, this motor is, you know, they call it the flying brick and they don't, and they didn't get that name easily. I mean, you know, it, it is solid as an anvil. And he says, you know, he said, when we were doing the dyno durability runs at the factory, he said one of the dyno techs misrep misinputed the uh tack the, the, the tack conversion. He said it ended up being like six thousand RPM was like eleven thousand RPM. And they ran that thing at maybe fourteen thousand RPMs <laughs> for like twenty-four hours. And it and they tore it down. No, no. No, no measurable wear, wow. you know. I've done two heads on K-bikes. One was a K-75, one was a K-100. Both of them had over 500,000 miles on it. And I said, what? I, and I pulled the head down, look, I said, why are you send me this head? Well, it's got 500,000, I figured it needed something. I said, well, I said, everything looks good. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean the valves. I'm going to lightly touch the seats just because we're in there and yeah. it'd be stupid not to and put new valve, valve stem seals on it and you're you're good to go. I said, I see nowhere anywhere. And my equipment, I, I can measure down real tight with, with the elaborate equipment I've got. I mean, the valve guides, everything. Was perfect. Is it be partly because of the metallurgy that they use? That it's, so I, I, it's well, I don't think you're going to say it's any one thing. I think it's metallurgy. I think it's design. Lubrication is a is a yeah. large part of it. Uh, temperature stabilization in the engine when it's running. Temperature, you know, and then of course if a person's taking care of it. Yes. You know. That's a one thing. Um, you're always air air filter good. Regular maintenance. Well, see, it's fuel injected. So it's always getting the right amount of fuel at any one time. So you're not. So it's not like a motor with a carburetor on that's getting 
and maybe a little rich mixture here, a little lean mixture here that's creating problems. Problems that you might not feel when you're riding or when the motor's running, but problems may be washing the uh, valve guide, the lubrication mm-hmm. uh, film off of it, you know, at some point. I, I think that's got a lot to do with it. Being water cooler's got a whole lot to do with it. Yeah, the one thing I noticed right off the bat is when you hit the starter button, instantly fires it's up there. and it's right at the idle. It's, it's not there. like a yeah. carbureted bike. Yeah, you know, it's worry-free. Yeah, where it's got to warm up. Now, uh, I've never been in the bottom end of one, ever. Wow. Never been asked to. Uh, uh, the problems that I have seen with them, hollow effect sensors fail. The, is there a, let me, before you go on from that, so is there uh, an aftermarket or another electronic ignition you can use? No. Not really. Okay. Hall, just just put a new hollow effect sensor. Okay. In. Yeah, you know. I've had five or six of those fail. I've had them fail on some of the new triumphs too. So uh but uh but when they fail, they won't leave you on the side of the road. You know my buddy Fred got one. Yeah, yeah. He bought your yeah. RS. Okay. He's got a case eighty five. And he called me and says, Hey man, I'm I'm riding. All of a sudden, this thing quits and won't start back. He said, I'm on the side. He's called to talk to me on the cell phone. He says, uh, he says it, it, won't, it won't start back. I said, well, just wait about 10 or 15 minutes see what happens. So he's like, hey, it started back. I'm coming out, you know. So it's, it quit on him about three times in 25 miles getting here. Was it getting hot? Well, what it does, it gets hot and it opens up. It's a... The Hull effect sensor is a is like a small, not really a transformer, but it generates a voltage, and it's so so it's got a, you know it's got a, you know some ferrite iron in there. It's got some real fine wire windings around it. So when the rush goes past, it creates a magnetic. It creates a signal, electromagnetic little pulse that that the tells the ignition and when to fire. You know, and it was getting hot and opening up. And uh, so he got here, and so we let it set outside there about 30 minutes. We put on the lift, and I pulled the cover off. Very easy to fix. And and then I got, I got a little heat gun. I got a, I got a little I got a little air gun that will either put heat or cool air out. Mm-hmm. So we get up there, and we crank it up, and I put the heat on it. About 10 seconds, it's gone. Now I switch it over to cool, cool it off, starts back up again. Wow. You know, so so we know that that's, that's the issue. So we put a Hall effect sensor on it, and he, on his way. Um, That's interesting. The other thing you hear a lot about is the fuel pump, fuel sender. Yeah, fuel pump, fuel pump, fuel sender. And the fuel pump, if they set up for an extended period of time, fuel pump fails. The rubber mount with the the plastic insert that supports the fuel pump, they get real gooey and icky. And, and, you know, when I put a fuel pump in, I always replace that too. Had a situation with a, a K100, which uh, which would be the same as this, where guy bought a K100 and he'd ride it and it, it would just start missing, carrying on, just going bad. I said, well, that just that doesn't sound really like a like a uh, hall sensor because hall sensor is either good or bad. Yeah, right. But it could be. I said, well, come on over here, let's check it. So we checked it. It wasn't a hall sensor. And 
So I'm thinking, man, something really strange is going on here. And crack up and run an idle thing. Get it out, going down the road and start missing, cutting out like, like, like it's dropping a cylinder or two. Wasn't doing that. I mean, wasn't dropping a cylinder. It was, they were all firing. And uh, I tapped into the fuel rail and put a fuel pressure gauge on it and, and tie wrapped it to the handlebars. When I'm driving down the road, I'm looking what the fuel pressure is doing. Okay. Thinking maybe it might have been a, um, a pressure issue, which it turned out to be a pressure issue, but, but I want to see what was going on. And if I go 35 or 40 miles an hour, pressure pressure's right there, around 36 PSI of the rail. Going 60, 70, it would start to fluctuate. Then the motor would start to miss and the, and the gauge would start to fluctuate. So I'm saying, well, this is strange. So I'm thinking, what if the fuel pump, I just thinking out loud, so what if fuel pumps, you know, having some issues? And so I, Pull the fuel pump out of it. Stock Bosch fuel pump. They have a screen on the bottom of the fuel pump, a white plastic screen that goes on the bottom that prevents a vortex from forming. Very similar to what you see when when you when, if you have an old bathtub or something in the in the drain. In the sure. drain, you know, and And it has a line coming down to it from the return that that puts that that puts the return fuel directly at the base of the fuel pump. And what was happening, it didn't have that, it didn't have that plastic screen on the bottom. And the and and it and it times of higher fuel demand, the pump was cavitating. Hmm. It was getting that vortex. Yeah. And you know, now I can't say for sure it was a vortex so I couldn't see it. But Knowing what I know about electric fuel pumps, stuff like that, that's a high pressure pump. You know, they're about 70, 80 pounds okay. before the regulator. I came in here and found an old pump and put that place, I put a line in problem solved. Wow. You know, so I, that, that was kind of a, a bit of an unusual situation with that. But uh, now they also have a, have a problem with the seal between the oil pump and the water pump failing. And that will be uh, that that will um, show itself by having a drip right out the front of the water pump. That, in fact, that was just replaced. Okay. So that's good. It takes a little special tool to put it in there. It's not a big deal, yeah. but but you do have to do it. Uh, then the other the other worrisome thing is is some of the early ones had the uh, the muffler shield, that black shield. Mm -hmm. Would 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 break? Would the mounting on the muffler would break and start rattling? Okay. BMW come out with a thing where they put a rib nut in there. I was fixing them before the BMW fix. I just put a rib nut in them, and 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 uh, take care so of that. Is this later one, the '94, was that? Addressed? It's fixed. Yeah. Yeah. The other, and of course now the other thing you always hear about are the spline loops. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting ready to do uh, do one for my buddy here, Nick. <clears throat> So here's the deal on this one. So it's a low mile bike, 16,000. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. You say spline, you talk about the drive spline or the drive shaft? Drive shaft. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Rick Jones had the bike, he put on new tires and he said, you know, unfortunately he just, he should have, but he just didn't. I guess he had some, something else going on. That's the time when you want to 
check the spline. Yeah, that's just easy thing. Yeah. yeah. So I've not done it yet. So basically the wheel comes off, take the final drive out, and the drive drive line pops out, pack it with lube, pop it back you in. Don't, you, don't, you don't take the drive shaft out. Oh, okay. No, you just take it off, put the lube on there. And now is it is it splined at both ends of the shaft? It, it, it has a spline receiver with internal splines in the drive shaft. Okay. Splines into that. I mean, very simple. I, whenever we do tires, I always do that. Okay. You know, you got to be particular about the lube. A lot of people like to use that Honda Molly lube 60. Yeah, that's what yeah. Ted Porter's got some kind of something that he sells. That's what I was going to get. I had real good. I use the uh, Staubogs okay. uh, lube that, that uh, I get from Worth, and it's a, it's a real it's a real fibrous looking stuff, and it works good and every, on, on that. So every essentially every tire change. You know why not? It's it's so so easy to yeah. do. Nothing to it. Uh, transmission spline is a whole different thing. You got to split that motorcycle in two. To do that, and uh, you'll you'll notice that when it starts to shift funny and the clutch doesn't operate just right. And Nick's got about, I think, 80000 on his. And it's about time for it. And it's time for it. He, he's, he's, I think, the other other things we run into. Um, this isn't necessarily uh, running related, but this bike, the reason I got it for a little bit cheaper was the guy I had it for sale. It was kind of funny. It was his, I guess it was his first BMW. So he bought it, it had been sitting for a while. He thought he was going to fix it up for his son, who's like 19 or 20 going to be a project they do together. His son lost interest in it. He ends up taking it to Rick Jones to get the brakes uh, worked up, get those freshened up. He doesn't tune up on it, whatever. Bike's running fine. He get, puts about 20 miles on it. Then the water pump seals start leaking. That right. we're talking about. Takes it back to Rick. He fixes that. And by this time, he's got the bike for sale. Then he's messing with the trip meter. And so yeah, the gears break. The gears broke on yeah. it. And it stopped working. And that he said for him. Yeah, that, like, that's that, a that, final straw. That, that, that's a that's another poor design flaw. Yeah, you don't know everything. I keep those things. I keep those little packets of gear things. It's like I just did one on a K100. Uh, I need to do one on that one. Is that so? Can, that, what's that repair entail? One of the reasons so many airheads are still on the road today is because of great parts suppliers and enthusiasts like Boxer 2-Valve. William and Edward Plam at Boxer 2-Valve have years of experience with the 247 Airhead, dating back to their first repair shop and dealership in the early 1980s. Boxer 2-Valve stocks and sources only premium parts and tools, so no need to worry if you're getting a cheap pattern or shortcut part. They simply don't carry them. Boxer 2 Valve has extensively researched which parts are correct for your motorcycle. Just enter your year and model and you'll see only the parts that fit your bike. That takes the guesswork out of the ordering process. Real-time stock information that is also available, so no need to guess what may be on back order that could delay your project. Also, if you're digging into a repair for the first time, be sure to check out Boxer 2 Valve's video repair series. 
These cover both twin shock and post 81 models and are great tutorials that go step by step through a variety of repairs and parts replacement procedures. The video series is a great workshop companion, one I've used many times over the years. So for all your airhead parts needs, Boxer2Valve.com. That's the number two, Boxer2Valve.com. William Plam will be back with us next episode for another Tech Talk. Now back to our final segment with Leo. What's that repair entail? Take the instrument cluster apart. And there, there's some YouTube videos okay. on it and everything. It's not, not terribly not difficult. terribly. Okay. Not not terribly bad. If you ever need it done, if you're not comfortable, just ride over here. I'll do it for you. But it's uh that, that that's a common issue. Yeah, it needs it. I mean it uh, works fine, but the tag or the uh, uh yeah, what, what I think what happens is when they set that that lubrication that they use dries up and gets hard and it creates a problem. Some of the early ones, people would get their tires changed somewhere. And whoever changes tires, those those rims, the early ones, I don't know about those there, because I got a tire machine, but they were they were warping the rims, put trying to put tires on it. And they come and say, man, it's real wild. And I said, well, you've hit something. I ain't hit anything. I said, I've just had the tires change. So I said, well, maybe the bead's not. See, you know, look at it. But I take the tire and I put, put, put it on my true stand. Really? And it's warped. Thinking, what the hell? So anyway, so I've got, I've got a little jig I made out of wood and everything. I, I pressed them back. I don't like to do that, but, but, uh, Straighten them out, but they were moving a little more than they should move. So, I'm sure they, I'm sure BMW uh, increased the malleability of that alloy. So if you did hit something hard, that that instead of cracking and you losing air, right, it would, it would flex or bend, you know. Now was that the earlier wheels or all wheels? That that was. Uh, I only saw it on two bikes. I think one was a. 88 one was a maybe a 90. Okay. So, so I don't know, you know, but, but I thought it, I seen on K, K100 too. But uh, I just always was like, every time I do one now, when I put it on the machine, I said, man, got to be careful. This yeah, thing, yeah. You know. okay, but you need to be careful of all of them anyway. Yeah. But uh, now I also had an issue in two bikes, a K75 and a K100, both early models where it'd be going down the road and it just stopped. Very much like a a hall sensor, but it wasn't a hall sensor. And both times it was the plug, the long plug going to the ECU under the seat. Somehow, somebody either took it apart and didn't stamp it back in right, but it had gotten some moisture in it and gotten corrosion. I and mean, those things are hard to clean once they get corrosion in it. They used some deoxid and some, you know, nylon brushes and got it real good and clean. But it, but uh, one of them, it, you'd be driving down the road, it would just do it. Huh. And then you sat there, and the guy would sit there one, and then he'd crack back up and go, I might go for two or three minutes. You know, it's, uh, you know, when you're dealing with 
sensor signals that are very low. They're they're low voltage, but they're also micro amperage, you know, milliamps. Yeah. You know. So if the connection's not good and clean and a very good mechanically good connection, you're gonna have a problem, you know, with that. Another issue was uh speed uh speedometer drive going out and that that's the connector on the right hand side the plug-in connector would would i guess do the same thing and uh clean those put 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 them back in i've also seen the multi-pin connector on the fuel pump on the right hand side too those go out the connector somebody may have taken it apart left it apart for a period of time or didn't put it back in right and anytime you're dealing with low voltages and 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 uh, very very low amperage, where, where you where you have to get a get a critical sensor signal, if it ain't clean, you got a problem. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's, yeah, especially when they're talking those milliamps. Uh, another yeah. thing you want to check on these: always check your header bolts, your nuts. Okay. Right. You know, just put a torque wrench on it. Don't break them. Okay. A lot of times, people who don't not familiar with these. You know, when you pull the clutch lever in, the 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 center panel. I mean, the uh, the side panel oh, come up. Yep. You know, well, people on on people even on side they're pulling the clutch in. They don't know why, and they're stretching that lever and everything. The, the cable moving that lever, you get a problem there. But that that's that's not bad. Now you need to change the coolant these every so often. Okay. The the, the coolant will serve to erode the insides. Of the cooling of, of the water passages, uh, haven't seen it in the K bikes as much as I have in some of the BMW automobiles and some of the other European cars. But it will, especially when you have a, not the case on this, but uh, uh, what really caught my attention to it was the was the uh, Jaguar Series Four cars. Um, had a six-cylinder motor. They had an iron block and aluminum head. They don't change the coolant, and it becomes and the coolant will become a battery. Oh, yeah, I and and so yeah. a battery has to have a consumable anode. So in the case of that Jag motor, the consumable anode was the aluminum head, the passages, and those things would roll out. And all of a sudden, you start getting coolant in the combustion chamber, and if we take have they. Mechanics pull says I'll break me the heads. I have to set it up in the mill, mill out every bit of that corrosive area, weld it back up, and re remachine it uh-huh. and everything. I haven't had the, I haven't had any situation with a K bike on that. I have on some BMW automobiles, but uh, I, I think the coolant needs to be changed every couple of years too. Same like you, you can take a voltmeter and put it in the coolant and put it on the block and see if you got oh, a really? voltage okay. in it. Yeah, interesting. Uh, same thing with brake fluid. I, 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 you know, I can't stress the importance of brake fluid change. You know, brake fluid, brake system lasts a long, long time if you keep that fluid changed in, especially ABS system. You know, um, like I said, the ABS failures are generally uh, owner-induced or Mechanics working on these things that don't really understand induced. Now I have seen um, K75s develop a leak, a leak in the bottom of the gas tank right there where the you look at it, you'll see the tank come down the bottom mm-hmm. and it kind of meets the 
uh, radiator fairing there. All right, yeah. Right there where the tank is, they'll get a little pinhole and start leaking. Hmm. That's due to the ethanol gas dephasing and forming water down there, and it corrodes a hole through the aluminum. Is there, let me ask you, I was wondering, is there still some place in Memphis you can get non-ethanol? Oh, yeah. yeah there's several places. Our Canales over here on uh, Houston Levy. There's a place in Cogerville. Canales has high test, you know, premium. Uh, there's a place in Cogerville that's got it. And there, there's several places. There's okay. a place in Midtown. Wait, yeah, where? Uh, Union and Cooper, I think. I, I, that's that BP there. Yeah. They were. I stopped there yesterday. They, they were, were out at eighty-seven. Yeah, they're doing refurb on that building anyway. But, but uh, there's several places. Okay. But uh, but you got you have to search it out. You have to search it out. It's uh, it, it's good to run. Get rid of that ethanol. And these things. I couldn't find any yesterday. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're running it through and and you're riding a bike all the time, it's one thing. All these bikes in here that sell a lot. Yeah, that, that I don't. Right every day, you know, I try to put ethanol free in it. Got to. The other it's, thing, the other thing on this bike uh, that I noticed is, and again, this is something you always hear, uh, sort of K bike lore. The engine's so well balanced. The three cylinder K seventy five has a what they call a hundred twenty degree crankshaft. Okay, like a tri trident, like some Lavertis. Um, 120 degree crankshaft is always in perfect balance, and the harmonics are are, are good too. Okay. Uh, 120 as opposed. Yeah. In to other words, ride journal layer, ride journal layer, yep. ride journal layer. If if you want to investigate that, go to YouTube and look up 120 degree crank. Okay. But uh, it's it's in perfect balance. That's why a six-cylinder motor is in perfect balance. A six-cylinder motor is 220 degree cranks coupled together. Couple yeah, I follow. I follow. Yeah. So there's always, no matter where it is, there's always a counterbalance. Yeah, and there's a and and as the crankshaft rotates, it creates harmonics. You got second order, third order, fourth order harmonics. Uh, that, that's why when we balance a, a, a vertical twin motor, we, you know, we we try to look at at getting a balance factor where the second, maybe third order harmonic is outside of the operating range of the motor. I got you. you know, outside of the RPM motor. Back when I was doing my Norton drag bike, vibration is always a consideration in a, in a race motor because if the motor is prone to vibration like a vertical twin is, then it's going to be this. It's going to be destructive to the parts of the motor, of the bike, like the frame. Sure. So if you can get the motor not vibrate as much, you can make the frame lighter. Getting back to the K bike in particular, people always comment how smooth it is. Uh, how you know you always hear something when a K bike is balanced right. You can you know put a nickel on yeah. there and it won't vibrate off. If so, the injectors are properly synced. Is, it, is that true? Can you do that? I guess you can. I don't know. I never tried it, but uh, yeah. I know when you, I know that when you bounce, you know, a lot of people come in with those bikes and they say it's running good, but I just feel like I need to do something to it. You know, you know, change the oil, do that. Since you do what you think you need to be done, check the valve adjustment. 
And so I checked the valves. Most times they're fine. Everything. But where I always found improvement was in sinking the carb bodies. And I sink those carb bodies up, man. Those, those things just sit there. Just, you know. And um, I don't know if I response very well. And they get it back and it says, you know, I just thought it was running good. It is running fabulous, you know. And uh, so, you know, sinking the carb bodies up helps a lot. You know, but they're 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 virtually trouble free. But 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 smoothness that you're speaking of, lack of vibration, is 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 a function of it being a three cylinder, 120 degree crank, with you know, um, you know they just designed it right. The the the, the rod lengths are just right. The more you know the, the the weight of the pistons, all that all that comes into play. But basically speaking, 120 degree crank is hard to beat for smooth. So there's nothing that they've done to counterbalance anything in there. I think they have counterbalance shafts in there, but yeah, but they yeah. have that to drive the. Uh, I think it's a dub. You know, I mean, they they got to have a, a auxiliary shaft drive the alternator. Right, right. And that that just adds, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I wouldn't on on a three cylinder. I wouldn't. Uh, I'd have to study the map to figure out where to put the uh, counterbalance weights. You know, on a twin, it's it's easy. You know, four cylinders easy, but uh, yeah, you're working with an odd number there. Yeah, you know, I really hated to see BMW discontinue that bike because it was really a uh, excellent design. And uh, but you know, I think from a price point, you know that 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 they probably weren't making any money on because they're making no K100 four cylinder in this, and basically it's just a K100 motor with a different crank and uh, a cylinder cut off. Yeah, frame's yeah. a little bit different. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about engine-wise. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and so, I mean, that bike had a solid 10-year run. Like we were saying, it ended the same time as the Airheads did. And I guess the philosophy there is, especially with BMW, they're always pushing technology, innovation, design. Well, they have to keep up. Yeah. Keep up with the other manufacturers, you know. I mean, you know, to be a and BMW's hallmark has always been engineering. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's what kind of what they they're they're uh, resting back on, you know. So, just, you know, I mean, when these things came out, they were pretty pretty amazing, you know. And uh, the sounds totally different. Sounds different, yeah, you know. I like them. I like them because they're quiet. Yep. I don't. I don't really care for a, a K bike with a modified muffler on because the tone isn't. If I want to hear a loud bike or a bike with tone, if it's a BMW, I like my R9T. Yeah. With with, with the DB killers taken out of it and the and the uh, ECU remapped and everything, and I like I like the sound of a Triumph Twin or a Harley. You know. Yeah. Um, but the K bike. That's again one of its hallmarks. I noticed that when I was riding around with uh, Michelle on the back and we had the communicators on, how much quieter it is, yeah. even then, you know, riding on a, a twin shot hard bike. Yeah, now they also had some uh, alternator damping problems on these things. Sometimes when the bike get over the you'd hear a little knocking noise. And, oh, okay. And, uh, I fixed a couple of those. That's 
But you'll see a lot of cave bites with, with many, many mouths on. Yeah, yeah. A lot of mouths on. A lot of, you know, kind of like the high the gold wing people. They really ride them, mm -hmm. you know. But all in all, they're, they're, they're an excellent motorcycle, in my opinion. They, 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 fit, they have a very good ergonomic feel. They, they fit well. I'm not, I, you know, at my age, my physical build and my arthritis, I, I can't ride a bike that, that, that you're leaning over on. You know, yeah. I'd have a hard time on a RR. You know? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if you just want to go out and, and they make great long distance touring bikes. You know, I'm just, I'm just very happy with them. Yeah, and I guess what we're saying is, if you're thinking about adding another bike to the garage, another BMW, really still affordable, parts availability, not a huge issue. There's some things that are hard to find. That yeah. Aftermarket support isn't what it is for a uh, 247. No, it's obviously. not. No. But all in all, I've always been well pleased in all my... Friends and people I've worked on have always been very well pleased with, with the uh, early model K box. Yep. Well, that is going to do it for this episode and most likely for the K bike content on the 247 podcast. If you own a K75, you know. If you don't own a K bike or are considering owning one, You've got some good grist for the mill going forward. So until next time, so long, everybody. The Airheads 247 podcast is distributed and produced by From Off Productions. Our producer engineer is Jeff Glover. I'm Darren Dorton. Look forward to catching up with you next time. Mm -hmm.